If I was past the E, I'd get up here and show off a little bit. But I, I, can't, I can't do it like Kim. See, why you, gotta, why you gotta try to play me? How y'all feeling today? How's everybody else feeling today? I got that from this pastor yesterday. It works, come in handy. Can we pray? Ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We are honored that we can have an audience with the king and that we can stand in your presence and uh, be involved in the priestly work of the gospel, Lord, that we can offer you to a people, offer that people back to you uh, by your Holy Spirit as you uh, turn people from hostile to you to lovers of you. Um, Lord God, we just pray for your help. Um, the holy work of uh, proclaiming the gospel and unpacking the truths of the scriptures is no small task. Several preachers are in my midst. They can attest to the fact that whenever we're before your people, we feel the weight of responsibility. We know one day that we will stand in judgment of what we've said, what we've taught. Uh, and so, God, all we want to know is, all we pray for today is that Jesus Christ would be accurately communicated, that your word would be accurately and rightly divided, and that your people uh, would not only sense that they were, uh, that they were fed uh, nutrition from the word, uh, but actually would be transformed as they put it to practice by your spirit. Ah, need you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, before I start, in my hand here is a new Bible. No, I'm just kidding. This is the Bible I lost, so I'm happy to have my baby back. Baby back, baby back. So that's a good thing. One of the things that we're doing right now is we're in a series. Why are you smiling? <laughs> uh, one of the things we're doing right now is we're in a new series um, where we're looking at Jesus and the life of people in the Old Testament. Uh, our goal and our purpose is multifaceted. We're praying that those of you who are not familiar with the Old Testament will become familiar with and acquainted with uh, uh, the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament as it's referred to. Uh, we're praying that you would learn the truths that are the foundation on which everything crescendos in the New Testament. Uh, many believers are familiar with the Gospels, familiar with the New Testament, and have not been uh, learned in the what we call the Old Testament. And so one of the things that we're doing is hoping that we get a chance to not only uh, see things Christianly, but trace our roots all the way back to where we got it from. And that is going back to uh, the Old Testament and watching how God dealt with Israel uh, in such a unique way. Uh, and then see how that impacts us and applies to how we as Christians respond uh, to the grace of God at work in our community. So um, today we're looking at um, another character in the OT uh, and his name is Isaac, Isaac. Um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 26. Uh, so if you have your Bible, Lord willing you do, turn there with me. Genesis chapter 26. Now one of the things that I have, um, first of all, this, is, this preaching 
at Epiphany is stretching me in the area of preaching. I have to preach uh, genres of literature that I hadn't previously before we planted this church. Uh, I have to deal with textual issues that I never had to deal with before. So I'm really liking this, but it's always, um, I'm always depending on God because I often run into something that's new to me. Um, today I'm looking at uh, a, a sizable portion of scripture, more than we're used to covering, but it is a narrative, so I'm going to try to deal with it. I'm going to try to deal with a scene that has a lot of verses, all of chapter 26. I'm not here to glean every nook and cranny, but I want to just be able to walk through it, and I think it has some beneficial truths in there for us. At the same time, as I want to expose you to Isaac in a way that's not stereotypically known. Most people know Isaac as the one that Abraham was about to kill. That's probably the, the primary thing that they know. Uh, if you're a little advanced, maybe you know about him blessing his kids while he was blind and getting tricked when it was time to bless Jacob and Esau. Uh, but today, I'm going to probably venture onto a section of Isaac that most of us are not familiar with. Even I had to brush up on it. And again, that's found in Genesis 26. Turn there with me. Uh, I won't read it in full, but we'll read it as we go just because of the size. But let me start it. Now, there was a famine in the land. This is Genesis 26. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, statutes and my laws keep reading so Isaac settled in Gerar when the men of the place asked him about his wife he said she is my sister for he feared to say my wife thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca because she was attractive in appearance when he had been there a long time Abimelech king of the Philistines looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebecca his wife so Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech uh, said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Stick a pen. We'll pause right there. Today I want to actually talk to you about something that I'm, I'm excited about talking about because uh, it's something that usually gets Christians going. It's this idea of being blessed, being blessed. If you're saved or unsaved, if you're in church or you're unchurched, you've heard the concept blessed. Perhaps you've used it of yourself. I know I'm blessed, you know, because I couldn't. Yeah, I know God's been blessing me because I like everybody has this concept of what it means to be blessed. Very few people have gotten their idea of what it means to be blessed from the Bible. 
So today, what we want to do is we get a chance to actually look at being blessed from the Bible. So Isaac, when God decides or has determined to bless you, when God has determined to bless you. Now, the reason why I say that is because right now we're seeing that when God has determined to bless you, there's some things that you have to keep in mind that I see right here in this text. The idea of blessed in the Bible is this idea that God ensures that good is injected into your scenario, that good comes your way in such a way that you increase, in such a way that you reproduce or you expand, in such a way that you advance. That is the concept of blessing in the Bible. In the Bible, we see it in Genesis 1.22 where God says to the animal kingdom, and I'll, I will bless them. And the Bible says he blessed them, and this is what he said based on his blessing. Let them fill the earth, or the waters at that time. Let them fill the earth. Let them fill the waters. Let them be fruitful. Let them multiply. It's this idea that when God blesses, he just decrees and he determines that you will be more than what you have been you will become greater than you have been we see that also when you skip down a few more verses in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 where God says and he blessed man and he said in correspondence with his blessing let them be fruitful and multiply and let them fill the earth and let them subdue. The idea is that God decreed that man would not flop at the thing that God is blessing him to do. No matter how bad we are, no matter how sinful we've become, there's still the sense in which we see our success as human beings stemming back from the original blessing that God pronounced on man when he said let them subdue so even though every now and then an animal will get the best of us for the most part we have dominion over the animals even though every now and then somebody comes up short we still have kids and we have more kids even though every now and then things don't work out like we like them to we still seem to see ourselves advancing in the earth that's because God has pronounced blessing on mankind. Well, this idea of blessing shows up 160 times in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. So anytime a word always comes up, that means it's an important word. Anytime it always comes up within a certain framework, that means it's key to that framework. Well, the first five books of the Bible sort of give us the start. And if you go back and you say, man, how come God was talking a lot about blessing in the first five books of the Bible? Well, the first five books of the Bible tell us about God's covenant with his people. So the idea here is that God is determined to bless people that, he are in, that he's in covenant with. Right now, it used to be Israel who thought God's in covenant with us and us alone. Because of Jesus Christ... The universe has access to being in covenant with God. So now there are people from every walk of life that's in covenant with God. And if you're in covenant with God, if you're in a relationship with God, if God has an arrangement with you, you can be best, uh, bet your bottom dollar that he has determined to bless you. So the idea here is when God has determined to bless you. So if you look at the first 11 verses, we'd see. What happens when God is determined to bless? 
Well, first, don't get it twisted. It's always, if God is determined to bless you, it will always be a sovereign choice. A sovereign choice. First of all, one of the things we see is that chapter 26 ties Isaac into Abraham. Now, I was bugging because I always thought Isaac was uh, a, a, a kind, a, you know, he's a patriarch. He's a father. And I thought a lot was written about Isaac, but really it's not. He's outshined by his father, Abraham. And every time you see Isaac, he's sharing a stage with Abraham. He's outshined by his son, Jacob. Uh, and next thing you know, he's sharing a stage with Jacob. He's even outshined by his grandson, Joseph. And so he's like, really, Isaac doesn't have much, like, it's not much written about him. Chapter 26 is the only place where they zoom in on Isaac and focus on Isaac and give him his own little platform time. And so one of the things you see here is that immediately he's being tied to Abraham because it says, at chapter uh, verse 1, Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham goes to Egypt and seems to have an encounter just like the one we're reading here where he lies and says, this is my sister because he didn't want to die among the Gentiles. But then in chapter 20, he actually meets a man named Abimelech and it seems like he has this same encounter, uh, a similar encounter with a man named Abimelech. So some people say, you know what this is? This is oral tradition getting fuzzed up, but we get the idea. Isaac, we don't know who was who, but somebody didn't have the encounter that the Bible says that they have. But one of the things that we see is that may not be the case. What may be the case is God is showing you there was a continuum. God is showing you that there is a connectedness between the original person that he pronounced blessing on, Abraham, and those who would come through the line of Abraham, now Isaac. The reason why that's good is because blessing is often tied to somebody in particular. In our case, it's tied to Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is blessed, pronounced blessed by God the Father, those who are in his line, God, the Bible says in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That means we're in the line of Jesus Christ, so we inherit the blessings. Well, same thing happened here. God wants you to know God sovereignly chose Abraham. Nothing about Abraham made God choose Abraham. Nothing about Abraham. He was a Hittite. He was a pagan. He worshiped like everybody else worshiped, and God comes into his life. It's always sovereign, and God says, I'm going to bless you. Why? Because I'm good? No, I'm just going to bless you. That is the problem. God just sovereignly chooses to bless well, he comes to, the Bible says he appears to Isaac and says the same thing. He appears to him sovereignly. It doesn't say that Ivan, uh, Isaac summoned him. It doesn't say that Isaac impressed him. It just says that God appeared to him and says, I will be with you and I will bless you. The idea here, if God has determined to bless you, it will be a sovereign choice. Some people will run it like God owes them something. God, some people will run it like, of course God's going to bless because doesn't he just bless everybody? Well, the scriptures, again, delineates a generic blessing on all humanity and blessings that are tied to someone in particular, in our case, the Lord Jesus. All who are in Jesus indeed are blessed. 
All those who are outside of Jesus indeed are not blessed, are not because the Bible says he that does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. So for those of us that are in the right line, the right family in Christ, we can look at Isaac who was in the right line, Abraham, and get our cues on what it means when God determines to bless us. Sovereign. God is sovereign when he determines to bless. It will be certain when God is determined to bless you, it's certain. It's certain to happen. Look what it says here. It says here that when God comes on the scene, he tells him, uh, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and your offspring I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply, there it is again, your offspring as the stars of heaven. I will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. It'll be certain to happen now we read a text that there is a famine since the bible says that when god's determined to bless it is an increase it is an ability to succeed one of the things we get afraid of is when we run into things that jeopardize or threaten the ability for us to succeed so the text lets us know right now there's a famine famine is against this idea of your your, your territory expanding uh, infertility is another one that God often has to conquer because now, how am I going to have kids? How are you going to expand me in terms of my, 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 my children if I'm, if I'm not able to have kids? So famine here is one of those things that comes on the scene and seems to threaten. Well, if you're going to bless me and blessing is the increase of me, how are you going to do that in a time of famine? Well, it's certain because God says here, look, not only am I going to bless you, don't go to Egypt where you think, well, even if you don't bless me, I'll go to Egypt because in Egypt, we don't need a divine blessing. Egypt still is laced. See, one of the things that Abraham did, his father, is he went down to Egypt because Egypt wasn't suffering from a famine. That's you and I today. Often, if we feel like God can't come through for us, what we do is we reposition ourselves to where God doesn't have to come through for us because we could just go get it for ourselves. Now, we're good church people, so when we get it for ourselves, we will point up and say, he did it. But however, often he wasn't the one that did it. We got it for ourselves. But it's certain, so certain that God says it will happen even in a land that's undergoing famine. This is the God who is forming his people to trust that we don't have to make our own way, that we don't have to finagle our own scenario. God wants you to develop a confidence in his commitment to the point where even in famine you'll obey him and stand still rather than just going outside of the will of God where you could meet your own needs. So it's certain because even a famine didn't threaten the blessing for Isaac. So much so that God says, sojourn in this land, drop down and chill here. I will be with you and I will bless you. You know, not too long ago, I saw this new um, product that's out. It's some sort of magic seed that allows you to grow grass 
almost anywhere. And then I got an email. But they blew me away with the commercial. They were like, you can grow grass anywhere. So they looked, oh, man, where your dog just peed. You can grow grass here. And on the sidewalk, you can grow grass here. Look, it even grows on a cinder block. It, I mean, they, they were saying, we know how to grow I don't care what the turf, I don't care what the circumstances, those places where the sun's too hot, still, miracle grow, whatever it is, it's some sort of plant. And I was looking at it, I said, man, that's like God. God guarantees you that I don't care how you rig the surface, I don't care how you rig the scenario, I don't care what the circumstance, God knows how to still grow, increase, bless, prosper, allow you to succeed so he can tell you, stay in a famine and I'll feed you. Stay in a famine and I'll take care of you. Stay in a land that doesn't have what Egypt has and I'll take care of you. God says, yo man, when God is determined to bless you. Now, if you're just saying God bless me, then you can worry. But if you can arrive at the conclusion God has determined to bless me, he just sovereignly just wants to bless me. If you determine that, it'll be certain to happen. And not only will it be certain to happen, it'll be secure. When God determines to bless you, it's secure. In other words, you don't have to help him out. The next, um, the next scene we see is Isaac beginning to lie to try to protect his blessed place. Look, verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Okay, I'm going to obey you, Lord. It's certain I'll even stay in this place. But when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Whenever we get shaky about God's ability to actually pull off what we believe he wants to pull off, we begin to lie. We begin to deceive. We begin to finagle. That's why the Bible always encourages Trust in the Lord, lean not to your own understanding. That is probably something that could happen, but not when God has determined to bless you. This is the beauty of this passage. Look, it says here, when he had been there a long time, so his lie worked out for a minute. His own protection of his blessed estate worked for a while, since he was there for a long time. Then it says, eventually though, Abimelech the king looked out of a window and saw him laughing with Rebekah. Now, I have a feeling they weren't just telling jokes. Um, they probably were laughing due to things that when you see it, you say, she must be your wife and not your sister because you don't laugh with your sister like that. <laughs> so Abimelech called Isaac and said, that's your wife. How is it that you say she is my sister? Isaac said, because I thought, Lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? Verse 10. One of the people may have lain with, easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. It's secure. Here not only do we see that it's secure so that he didn't have to lie. He didn't even know that he was in the presence of a man that was sensitive morally. I know most pagan kings would be insensitive morally. But when God has decided to bless you, you don't have to lie. God had him in the presence of a dude who had more morals than him. 
after he realizes that it's his wife, he says, now I decree, nobody better not mess with her. God is saying, see, it's secure. You didn't have to come up with your own way to secure yourself. I'm the, I, told, I came to you and said, I will bless you. You didn't come to me and say, bless me. It's certain. It's sovereign. It's secure when God is determined to bless you. But not only that, because God has determined to bless you. Now, this is the beauty of this. We're talking about blessings here, right? We say, if God has determined to bless all who are in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ today, the application is, well, tell me more about this blessing. Because there's the generic spiritual blessing that we get, according to Ephesians chapter 1. But then there are senses in which we still see God blessing us individually in our lives according to the pattern of the Old Testament. Meaning, you really are hoping God is going to move you up in your job. You're hoping that God will do something unique in your marriage. You're hoping that God is going to bless your rap group or your rap ministry. God is going to bless your business. Uh, well, I like the way the Bible is comprehensive enough to deal with it because the next thing we see is that when God is determined to bless you, often God does honor the principle of sowing, sowing. Because look what it says here. It says here, verse 12, And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Uh, now, the beautiful part about this is we know from the rest of the Bible that bless, all blessing doesn't look the same. You can't say, well, good, that means that I'm going to be rich. Good, that means that I'm going to have a lot of cars and not just one. Good, that means I'm going to have more clothes. That's not what the idea is. Now, that may happen, and it would be, it could be a blessing from God. But you can't build the theology around it. But what you can do is look at what the Bible says about sowing and say when God decides to bless you, he honors your sowing. So if you're doing a good job, uh, you're doing your sowing by laboring at your job, say I'm investing a proper work ethic. That means I'm, I'm basically God is happy to honor your sowing and God frowns when you just squander. So we know that from the rest of the Bible. But I like the way here in the book, uh, in, in Genesis, talking about Isaac, it just goes to Isaac sowing and God blessed him. In a year of famine, he reaps a hundredfold. Everybody's not going to reap a hundredfold. Even the Lord Jesus says that mature believers, uh, they develop and they bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. You know, some people are like, there's a hundredfold anointing in here right now. Like we can di dictate when it's a hundredfold blessing in the building. You can't because these things are sovereignly given. But what you can say is there is a God will honor sowing. And when you sow, you will reap. When God is determined to bless you, often you reap more than you sow, which is why the Bible says now to him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. Most people say more all that we can ask or think. Well, I can ask for something that I bet you God won't do. Give me a billion, gazillion, quadrillion dollars. Now, God could do that, but usually we don't go that far. We're not crazy. 
Usually we'll say, Dag, Lord, I need $700. And he'll give you $750. It's like, like, like Dag, Lord, I, all I need is to, and he gives you more than you ask or think. Because the text really just says he gives you more than you ask or think, not more than you can ask or think. So the idea is God always does you one better than than, than what you ask. Like, he is the type of God to give you an overflow. But the overflow may not be the kind of overflow that would give birth to a prosperity gospel type thinking. But the beautiful thing here, because God has determined to bless, we can sow with confidence. We can sow with confidence. This is the type of thing that makes you go to battle when you know God is blessing you. I used to say, Dag, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you because I knew he was with me because he had snatched me out of so much stuff. I said, Dag, Lord, I, like, I want to believe that you could drop me anywhere on the earth blindfolded. And I just got to believe that you're going to take care of me. You're going to somehow, you're going to, somebody will drop me in the middle of Saudi Arabia's desert and somehow some unique provision is going to be there. Like somehow you're, you're so for me, like I really can't screw this thing up outside of just blatant sin perpetually ad infinitum without coming up for a breather. God wants you to know you can sow with confidence. You can start businesses. If it doesn't work, you know, you can, you can launch out an endeavors. If it doesn't come out like you, there are other theologies in the Bible that balance. God can't always let you shoot to the top because then you don't learn dependence. Which is why in Deuteronomy 8, God says, I caused you to go hungry. This is the same God that said, I gave you manna. The same God that gives you manna also says, I caused you to go hungry to humble you. God gives grace to the humble to humble you and to know what was in your heart. God wants to expose what's in our heart. And he says, I do it to see if you'll keep my commandments. God is so balanced with these theologies that we can't go off the deep end. But we can run hard with But God, generally speaking, honors sowing in a way that says, if I sow, God is going to allow me to reap. And you always reap more than you sow. That's just the way it is. You don't put a seed in the ground and then a big giant seed grows. That's just the way it is. Spiritually, when we sow to the flesh, the Bible says, we reap from the flesh if you sow the spirit. So whether this is spiritual sowing or physical investment in the way God honors stuff, you can do that confident when you know God's blessing you. And then you leave it, the results to God. What does it look like, Lord? Not only can you sow when God has, because God has determined to bless you, you can sow in confidence. We're sustained despite the conditions. We're sustained. I mean, what you're seeing is that in the midst of a famine, when everybody else is lacking, he's growing and increasing. In spite of the fact he's in a famine, in spite of the fact he's not in Egypt, where people, of course, are doing well, you see Isaac, the dude that the text zooms in on and says, this dude became rich. This dude has more servants. This dude has more flocks. This dude has more. Like all the stuff that the famine is supposed to hinder is not hindering him. That's because God, when he's determined to bless us, and because he blesses us, we often are sustained no matter what the conditions. Which is why if you truly are in Christ and you know God is with you, then you don't have to fear the recession in the way people who don't have a hope do. We don't have to fear the economy's downfall in the way that others. 
Do we wise up in light of the economy shifts? Of course. But do we fear it like others as though that's the last say? The government is not the last say. The president is not the last say. The economy is not the last say. The NASDAQ and Wall Street are not the last say. But you've got to develop a confidence that this is theology you can bank on, that you can say it's true. Christ blessed me. I know it because I'm saved, first of all. I didn't even have to, God didn't have to snatch me out of sin and death. If he wasn't going to, if he didn't intend to bless me, to lavish on me good and the ability to succeed. When you arrive in the presence of the Lord, when you die, that will be the ultimate day where you see the success story that God has created in you. Because in spite of all the days of sin, in spite of all the mistakes, despite of what side of the tracks, despite of what happened and who did what. Ultimately, we're all going to radiate with bodies like Jesus Christ. All of our infirmities will be gone and God will say, man, look at my masterpiece. And this is the this is the blueprint of what it means to be blessed, which is why God says God blessed us in Christ Jesus, because now we're scheduled for the increases that some people want to see. Well, I want to see $100. I want to see my 100 go to 1000 God is saying, I'm going to blow your mind ultimately when I show you just how much I took you from nothing and made you something. When God has decided to bless and because God has decided to bless. We can sow with confidence. We're sustained in spite of the conditions. But when God has decided to bless you or because God has blessed you, you're certain to face conflict. You're certain to face conflict. Look what it says here, verse 15. Now, the Philistines, excuse me, verse 14. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now, the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his, that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. There's something about God's favor on people's lives that always has you wind up in conflict. Always seems to be the case. The Lord Jesus, favored by God, didn't come up through the ranks of the, of the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. And his whole ministry was plagued with in, uh, opposition to his ministry and one of the problems they had is they said well yo like like by whose authority do you do this what they were saying was you don't do this by our authority but they could sense that God was with them because Nicodemus said now we know you're a teacher come from God it's something about when people see it but can't control it that see it but don't have a participation in it they begin to have conflict with you we see it here Abraham had the same situation uh, we see it in all through the scriptures and we see it in our own lives that when people see the favor of God since the favor of God is sovereignly given and not based on things that we do necessarily since the favor people get upset and they begin to oppose us well God does that because God wants you to rely on him to be able to not respond like the world would respond which we're going to see how Isaac responds to his opposition but the point is you will face conflict when God has decided to bless you the Lord Jesus said it like this to his disciples you are not of the world so the world hates you 
The reason why the world hates you is because you're not of the world because I chose you out of the world. If you were in with the boys, if you were in with the girls, if you were in with the world, they would love you, but they don't because I've chosen you out. The idea is when the world senses our attachment to God and because they're not a part of it, there is automatically a hostility that exists. Well, you see it here with Isaac. Because God blessed him in this situation, he faces conflict. But I like it because we succeed because of God's care for us. We succeed because of God's care for us. Look at this. It says, so Isaac departed. So they stop up his father's wells. That's part of his sustenance. They kick him out of the land where he's been doing well. But look, why in the world is he still succeeding? So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So what you see is this response to opposition. Was it? Oh, no, y'all crazy. No, this is my land right here. No, see, nobody even wanted this land until y'all saw me starting up. Like, he didn't go through all of that. Says he just got up and moved to another place that looked desolate, another place that looked like, let's see if it works over there. And it says, and Isaac dug, sowing again, going to the, the regular, let me put in the work. But when God has decided to bless you, watch this. It says, uh, and so uh, Isaac dug again the wells of his father that had been dug in the days of Abraham. So he just undoes what they did, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen, saying, the water is ours. So now he moves, digs another well, and because, once again, conflict will always follow you, they're like, dang, this dude then found another well. That's ours. That's ours over there. Uh-uh, the water's ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. It means contention. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that also. And he called it Sitna. And so now you see him and he says, and that means enmity or hostility. So he finds another, like, take this well too. I'm going to go over here to this dirt pile and just try to find another well for myself. So then he goes over, finds another well. That water's ours too. Wait a minute. All those wells over there, y'all kicked me out of there because I got water. Then I come out here where y'all told me to go and I find water and you want this water. Then I move over a little further and I find more water and you want that water. Dad, this well over here is contention and this well over here is strife. Now the Bible, like, like the reason why the Bible talks to us through the Hebrew culture and through Greek language and, because look at the beauty of their culture and how God can leverage it to teach us spiritual principles. I'm not just sitting up here trying to be cute. If the Bible says that when God decides to bless you, you'll face conflict, you see it. This dude is naming his wells conflict. <laughs> this well is enmity. This well here is strife. But remember what I told you, even though we succeed, blessing is the ability to exceed no matter what. And that's God determines that you can booby trap, 
You can rig, you can cheat, you can, you can, I can cause you to succeed. I can grow grass on a cinder block. I can grow a successful human being out of the hood. I can raise a corpse when his bones are dry and his ligaments are somewhere else and his blood has evaporated. This is the God who decides to bless this is put faith in me, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the epitome of showing you that God causes nothing to give birth to something. We succeed. Look, he keeps playing musical wells, and eventually, look what it says here, verse 22, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Eventually, like the success, the blessing of God is ultimate, not immediate. And that's the thing we don't like. I like the way my favorite preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said this. He says, God has to afflict his people with Moments of depression and or a heightened sense of our inadequacy because uninterrupted success ruins us. We can't handle being on the top all the time. We can't handle get out of jail free, go to go, hit the 200, roll doubles, wind up on free parking with there's a boatload. Go around, snatch up Park Place Boardwalk, have enough money to put hotels on it and win the game without ever having to pay rent. Like, we just can't do that. But God wants us to be confident that he is at work, not to spoil us. So he's not making everything easy, but we will succeed again. At best, it's eschatological. It's at the end, all of the stuff will make sense. All of the stuff will, like, you know what? Who cares that I was in a wheelchair all my life? Look at me now. Like, somebody's going to say that. Who cares if I didn't have anything? That's why the Bible tells the story about Lazarus and the rich man. God said to the rich man, you had your good stuff in life. Lazarus had bad stuff in life. That, like, that's the Christian may have that testimony. In life, it just didn't seem to work out. But when you know God will, will, will allow you to succeed regardless of the conditions, you just, life comes and you accept it and you, you like, like, like Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Um, uh, when, when God allows, like you don't, you, don't, you don't create false hope. You don't make false demands to heaven. You say, God, your will be done. Now, God honors sowing, so you keep sowing. You redig the well. What did he do? He started saying, all right, let's take the dirt out, fellas. Abraham and Lot did the same thing. When you know God is with you, you can let other people win. You can let other people get over. Like, you can let it. God said to Abraham, uh, um, Abraham said to Lot, he said, now Abraham just rescued him. Abraham is the big dog of the bunch. But Abraham had a keen sense that God was with him. He's like, no matter how you slice it, I'm going to do well. So I tell you what, why don't you choose? And the Bible says that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the lushness of the Sodom and Gomorrah region. He looked up and he said, 
Who wouldn't choose green grass, perfect irrigation, trees, fruits, vegetables, birds floating, civilizations booming? Who wouldn't choose that? I'll choose that. I mean, you don't mind. I mean, you told me to choose. Go ahead. Abraham chose the Negev. The Negev means arid. Who would choose the arid place? Abraham went on to murder it. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by God. And that's what God is saying. I'm, I'm, I'm laying this out in the Bible because if God is determined to bless you, you don't choose like people choose. You don't go where people go for the reasons they go. You don't fight with people like people fight with people. Because you know no matter how you slice it, God is going to prosper you because that's just what blessing is. It's God's determination to allow you to advance, to allow you to increase, to allow you to grow. It's not always individualistic. See, we need more time in this book to balance this because somebody right now is like, oh, yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm going to get my blessing in. Everything is me. But the Bible does say, but even you individually will see this. You will see these principles at work. He succeeded, and he says, Rehoboth, or Rehoboth, he says, the Lord finally made room. It ultimately comes, it didn't immediately come, but it ultimately comes, we're fruitful. To be fruitful means to be more than what you were when you started. When God determines to bless you, it will be sovereign. You can't make them, he'll do it. When God determines to bless you, it will be certain, no matter what the conditions when God determines to bless you, it will be secure. You don't have to lie, cheat, steal, and finagle to make it happen or to keep it. Because God has determined to bless you, you can sow with confidence. Go to work. Expect, if I do well, God's the type to boost me up. Um, if I go and if I study, God's the type to allow my grades to have benefit in my life. Uh, if I go out there and I start business ventures and God's not... Uh, doesn't have some glorifying reason for shutting it down, um, I, that's going to happen. I'm going to blossom. Uh, you can sow with confidence. Uh, you'll be sustained in, despite the conditions. The housing market is down, but guess what? We still have a house. Uh, you know, somebody stole my car, but like God's giving me bus fare. Like, with, however, God will sustain you. You're going to face conflict, but you'll succeed because He cares. He said, God made room for me. He didn't say, oh, I lucked up. Oh, finally, they stopped messing with me. When they stopped quarreling with him, he said, God did this for me. Yeah, yeah. Lastly, those who are blessed, three things and I'm out of here. Those who are blessed have a God who is committed to them, have a God who's connected to them, and have a God who will keep them. And I'm just going to read this. Check it. Rest of this account says, From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he, meaning Isaac, built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, 
Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we plainly, excuse me, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a swarm pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. Hilarious. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate, drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba, which sounds like Sheba, uh, the word for oath. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Those who are blessed, you have a God who's committed to you. Once again, he goes and he moves to another scenario and God appears to him. Like, get rocked off of God coming to you um, so that you can have a great sense of God came my way, not I came his way. It says here that he went to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and I'm with you. God's committed to us. The reason why God will bless us and the reason why God does what he does is because he's one of those gods that's faithful. He's committed. And here he reaffirms his commitment to Isaac. He says, I'm the God of Abraham. Fear not. Don't fear, Isaac. Anytime God says it, it's not because he's at a loss for words. Isaac was fearing. Isaac was going through that no matter how much God had done. Isaac was, because God doesn't just say fear not for nothing. When he says it, it's because he's answering a little whisper of the heart. God is saying that to you right now. Fear not. Fear not. That's what makes us lie. That's what makes us cheat. That's what makes us work places we don't need to work or date people we don't need to date or skip this or skip that. Like, that's what makes us do it because we're afraid. Well, if I don't do this, then it'll never happen. And if I don't go here, then it'll never. And I'm so da-da-da. And if I don't, then it will. Like, God says, fear not. Because I'm the God, and for us, I'm the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm the one who sent Jesus Christ. I'm not only Abraham's God, I'm Jesus' God. (laughs) And Jesus, you see my commitment to my son. I raised him from the grave. Committed to him. Look at Isaac. Isaac's commitment is shown in response to God's commitment, which our commitment would always be in response to his commitment says here, Isaac then built an altar. Anytime somebody built an altar, they were establishing a stake in the ground that my life is God-oriented. And that's the first thing it says. It says he built an altar there, called upon the name of the Lord. That doesn't mean that he began to have praise and worship. In the Hebrew, that means that he began to proclaim Yahweh to his surroundings. And so he began to proclaim. So you know how you're like you're so rocked off of God's commitment to you that evangelism becomes natural and evangelism becomes easy. Well, that's what he did. He 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 put an altar in the ground and he began to proclaim that Yahweh was God in a world that was all polytheistic. They believed in many gods. So he began to proclaim Yahweh as God. Says here he pinched his tent and then got back to doing business in life. He digging wells. See, God doesn't ex- blessings don't exempt us from the work uh, of uh, the earth, but it means that when we work, God can honor it and bless us and honor our work. Not only is God committed to them, but God is 
pleased to be seen in connection with them. If God is blessing you, uh, you have a God who doesn't, doesn't mind being connected with you. I like what it says. It says Abimelech finds him again. Now, everywhere Isaac goes, Abimelech shows up or his people. And it says here that he said, why are you here now? You sent me away. You hating on me. Why are you here? He said, I just came to tell you. It's clear you're in connection with a God who just has determined to bless you. He says, it's clear the Lord is with you. Hebrews says it this way. Because cats live in faith in the Lord Jesus, he's not ashamed to be called their God. Yeah. That's just a dope way to think about God. God, you're not ashamed to be called my God. God is not ashamed to be seen. It's clear God is with you. I want to be seen. Anybody like to have good connections? Oh, I got his number right here. Yeah, you ever like, like, oh, you, oh, you need the number? Like, you wasn't asked for the number, but they just want to let you know that he connected. Oh, you, oh, you need his number? Because I got his number. Because you know one time, right, we say it was a birthday party, right? And, and you be like, I didn't ask for all that, but they want to let you know I'm connected. But if you want to be connected to anybody, wouldn't it be dope to be connected to the Lord Jesus? People say it's clear that he's with you. Our culture doesn't talk like that. I pray that we'll live our lives in such a way that they won't just say, oh, what church you go to? That's what they all say. If you're a godly person, the first thing they say is, what church you go to? Like, man, I'm, I want to, I, I pray we get to the point where people say, the Lord, you, you, you're in a connection. You, you have a connection with God that's abnormal. We got to help them talk like that because the world won't talk like that. But we need to talk like that. I don't like when Christians say that. What church you go to? Like, talk to me about, yo, who's your God? Oh, it's obvious who your God is. Talk to me about what it means to walk with him. It says here, we see plainly, so come on, let's make a pact. The Bible says, when God is pleased with you, he'll even make your enemies be at peace with you. And so here, the, the blessing of God manifests itself in the haters becoming uh, fond of him and saying, please, let's be friends. Lastly, has a God who will keep them. So when he gets back after the pack, it says here, verse 32, that same day, Isaac's servants came, told him about a well they dug. We have found water, called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And Beersheba means well of the oath. It means that God now used to name wells beef and friction, <laughs> Now he's naming the well. First one was God made room for us. This one is God keeps his oaths. God keeps his promise. At the end of the day, we preach Isaac to you because Isaac was a perfect backdrop uh, to show you that when God determines to bless, when God, he, he's the God who keeps his oath. He's the God who keeps his covenant. He's the God that sovereignly snatches you up. He's the God that you can count on. He's the God that you can trust. So much so that you won't lie. So much so that you won't have to cheat. You won't have to steal. So much so that you can forgive much. So much so that you can take the low road. So much so that you can forfeit your rights. All of these things you see because when God is determined to bless you, and he has if you're in Christ, if you're unbeliever here today, I can't speak for you. God generically is good to all. But he's especially good in a unique way to those who are in his son. And we proclaim that you must be born again. You must be born from above in order for the Lord God uh, to uh, allow these, these 
these promises to be yours as we close. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, you're separated. According to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, you're, not, you're separated from the people that God has a unique covenant with. Please believe this. I know America thinks that they're automatically Christian if you're not Muslim. But that's not the case. You're, you're, the Bible makes it clear that a transformation must take place by God supernaturally opening your eyes to the sinfulness of man and how sin puts a gap between God and man that nothing can close. Nothing can close it. God doesn't just take oops. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The Bible says that that's why Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. He was nailed to the cross so God could preach a sermon about his distaste for sin, but he was resurrected from the grave so God could preach a sermon about the beauty and the glory of his son. The beauty and the glory of his son is the son didn't die for his own sins, which is why three days later after making atonement for our sins, come back, keep, keep walking with us, he could, uh, he could raise him up and showcase he's perfect, Anyone who trusts in him, he's dishing perfection out into your accounts. If you're saved already, rejoice today. Rejoice that this Jesus has done this. Rejoice that this Jesus didn't just choose Abraham, but he chose, <laughs> he chose you, he chose me, and he has made it clear that this is a visual demonstration that once I choose you, that's why the Bible says, who can lay any charge against God's elect? The Bible says, who can separate you from his love? The Bible says, he causes all things to work together for good. Like, to those who are love him and are the called according to his purpose. The moment God chooses you, the moment God reveals that he's for you, God says, the story is written. You will succeed. You will grow. You will expand. Trust in him. He's committed to you. He's committed to you. He will keep you. Wouldn't you want to be known as being in connection with this God? Ah, oh. ah, oh. let's pray. Oh, Father. Like the psalmist, what is man?